0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of The Corner Office. A little bit of a different setup here today. Jack had some some technical stuff going on, so his camera is, is uh, a little bit closer to his beautiful face today that we get to see. And um, if my voice sounds a little different, I've, I've just been battling a little bit of congestion this week. So, you know, maybe um, that's throwing throwing you guys off a little bit, but it's, it's still me, um, and we're excited to be back talking about some some basketball news. A lot of stuff has been going on these past couple of weeks that we've we've been looking forward to talking about. And, uh, yeah, it's it's good to be back. Yeah, it definitely is good to be back. And I know that we pushed an episode this weekend because of
1: some technical difficulties. And now tonight I thought I had everything figured out and it just didn't go the way that I planned. So, I mean, it, it never does. But yeah. here we are no. in studio getting ready to talk about some basketball.
0: Yeah, I think – I think we got to start with basically what's the biggest news of the week when it comes to NCAA basketball, which is something that we're gonna to look to get a little bit more into as we near March. Um, it's kind of the road towards madness right now. Everybody is kind of trying to, you know, see where these teams are going to end up when it comes to being a bubble team, being a play, uh, a team that's going to make the tournament, being a team that's going to be cut on that short list uh, at the end of Selection Sunday, but. One of the massive storylines going into this week thus far has been about court storming, um, which is something that I didn't really think – it wasn't really on my radar until this year, I don't think.
1: Yeah, I actually – so for those of you out there who aren't caught up on what's been happening, Saturday afternoon, Duke played against Wake Forest, mm. and Duke was the eighth seed. Wake Forest was unranked on the verge of being ranked, and yep. they beat – the Blue Devils, our team, yep, and stormed the court, which is something that happens regularly at the NCAA level Agreed. and is something that happens to be a bit of a tradition. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, one of the students ran into Kyle Filipowski and he may have tweaked an ankle or a knee or something in the process and limped yep. off the court. Yep. And so there's been a lot of not-so-friendly discourse about what the next steps are in terms of court storming and whether or not it's good for... Not only basketball, but the safety of the players, because it I mean, there is an argument to be made that it is incredibly dangerous for the guys out there. So I want to hear your take on court storming as a whole.
0: I mean, I I think the first thing that you need to you need to mention when you talk about this is like Kyle Filipowski getting hit by somebody. It's not the first instance that something like this has happened. Not even this year, like we had we had a near incident with uh, Caitlin Clark earlier this year where she was ran into by a fan. Probably could have been a lot worse. Um, but like that being said, I think court storming is such a it's such a an ingrained part in college basketball lore if that makes sense. like I think that some of the best moments that we have over the past 20, 25 years in college basketball come when someone makes a, a game winner or wins a huge game and storms the court. You know, and as somebody who plays um, like collegiate basketball, not at the same level, obviously, but like, I think that if I was in that scenario when I when someone on my team would like make a shot like that, I would want the court to be stormed because it's just so ingrained in my head that that's like a, you know, that's a pretty awesome moment for everyone. Um, unfortunately, now it's just like they may ban it. Just because of the fact that, you know, fans have been running into players, which is, you know, a safety risk. And I totally understand that. But like, I don't know. I feel like I feel like it's kind of a it, it's a lose lose a little bit, you know, like banning it would suck. But like also players getting hurt sucks, you know. Um, so like, I don't know. Personally, I'm I'm of the opinion that I don't think you can ban court storming. I just I don't think.
1: Yeah, I don't think you can do it either. It is something that is when people think about huge wins in college basketball, college football, you storm the court, you storm the field, that's what you do. Yeah. And and there's definitely deserved moments. I think that in recent years, there have been some times where people have stormed the court where it wasn't necessarily deserving of a court
0: storming. Probably, probably. But
1: I think that in especially those two examples that you gave, um, Duke losing to Wake Forest for the first time since 2004, I believe. Definitely deserving of a court storm, 100%. And uh, whoever it was that beat Iowa and the best player on the planet right now, yeah, you deserve to storm the court. It's what happens. And it's not like either of those two suffered serious injuries. Nothing really crazy happened to them. Another thing that people – tend to take for granted is that when athletes lose a game, a lot of times they look for something to blame it on Mm -hmm. or something for them to, for people to look at them and be like, Oh, well this happened to them. So I feel more sympathetic than I would. Agreed. And so Kyle Filipowski limping off the court, using this injury as a scapegoat for the fact that they just had an incredibly disappointing performance yeah, I'm not so quick to believe that he actually has like a serious injury, and neither am I to believe that about Caitlin Clark because she didn't have a serious injury. Right, She's still out there putting up buckets. Right. However, if you look at it from the other side, there is probably nothing worse than losing a game that you weren't supposed to lose and having the entire fifteen thousand people crowd you and Rush taunt you and make fun. You. Of yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah, like I get it. It sucks for the losing team, but it's great for the winning team and it's great for the sport. So although these accidents happen sometimes, I just don't think you can get rid of it.
0: Yeah, I just I don't understand why everyone now is so up in arms, if that makes sense. Like, I feel like in the in the general media, most people are like, we should have banned this years ago. And No like, one was ever I, I've calling never, it to I've be banned. Never seen, exactly. I've never seen that discourse before, you know, before people started getting injured. like.
1: I, I, I get well, but but no one has gotten injured. People yeah, right. have just had these silly right. little, like scapegoat injuries.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. Like
1: I, I, we're Duke fans, but John Shire throwing a hissy fit isn't good for the game, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, I agree. I agree. I, I just I don't know. I think that you know people people were upset that Wake Forest stormed the court because they were favored in this game because they're I think they're twelve and zero at home. Yeah, they were um, two and a half point favorites but like at the same time like what you just said is totally warranted like they haven't beat duke in years years it's been forever so like i i totally understand why they stormed the court and that that community is deserving of, of of something like that like sure there are instances where court stormings probably aren't warranted but like it's great for the school community it also gets people interested to go watch basketball games right
1: like I, if I was at Wake Forest University and had no interest in basketball, but saw that everyone got to go on the court because they just want a sick game, yeah, I'm gonna have a little bit more school spirit. Yeah, and be more entertained by going to the game with just the thought of being able to do that.
0: I just, I just don't think that this, that this narrative that the discourse around court storming has always been, we should get rid of it. Like I just don't think that that's reality. I don't think that's true um I, I
1: honestly think I honestly think that a lot of the people saying that are just looking to make a headline because yeah, no one has ever said it probably it's never been a discussion before there's been plenty of other discussions that people have brought up over the years over and over again. This is not one of them. Yep. this is the first time this has ever been a conversation yep. so now for two star players to get hurt when really they just were looking for a scapegoat after having a really disappointing loss i don't know it's not enough it's not enough to. If Kyle Filipowski plays tomorrow, would you call that an injury?
0: No, but if Kyle Filipowski breaks his ankle,
1: that's different. But has yeah. that happened yet?
0: No, I agree. Yeah,
1: exactly. So point. like this conversation is blown way out of proportion. It's not like he got carried off in the cart because someone ran into him. Yeah, like, it, it wasn't like he tore his ACL. I just think it's being blown out of proportion.
0: I agree. I agree, and I think that when Duke wins a game at Cameron Indoor and they beat UNC for, say, the ACC championship and the and the crowd storms the court or something like that, like, we'll be back on board with it. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's really hard f- for Duke to have a reason to storm a court. Yeah, I agree. Because <laughs> their standard's so high. Yeah,
0: I agree. But, hey, I don't know. I, I I think court storming makes the game better. Now, clowning players after the game is over, obviously, I'm not super supportive of that. Just, like, you know, like, you're not playing. So you shouldn't be able to say anything to a kid who is, you know, a division one caliber athlete. Um, But that being said, it is, it's a part of the culture. It's a part of NCAA basketball. It'd be a shame to see it go. In my opinion, I think it'd be a shame to see it go. I agree 100%.
1: So that was just one of the games that happened last weekend. There were a bunch of plenty of other games going on, but I think that more importantly, we're at the stage of the season now where we know what teams are good, we know what teams aren't, and we're starting to get a sense of who might go on a magical run in the tournament. Agreed. So I think it's proper that right as we're starting to get you know our audience familiar with everything going on in NCAA before the tournament, I think that it's time for us to go over some teams that impressed us and some teams that have disappointed us. Yeah. So yeah. I think we start with the disappointments. Okay. What is a team... That so far this season has really not met their expectations for you.
0: So there are a couple. There are really, to me, there are really four or five that come to mind. Um, but one team that one team that I think really stands out to me thus far is the Arizona Razorbacks. Um, brought in a huge transfer class this year. Arizona, of, the Wildcats. 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 Did I say Arizona? Arizona? Yeah. I said Arizona. Yeah. yeah. I meant Arkansas. Okay. Wow the arkansas razorbacks brought in a massive transfer class this year um i think that one of the biggest issues that they're having right now is because they brought in so many transfers you know they've seen guys like devo davis who played a lot of minutes for them uh in these past couple of years who aren't playing anymore with the team they just decided that you know it wasn't worth it Uh, eric musselman who is a coach that i actually like a lot um i think he's been disappointing with the with the players that he's had this year um and I, I think they sit at, like, 10th or 11th in the uh, in the SEC right now. They're 12th in the SEC, 12th in the SEC, sitting at 14 and 13 overall. Um, and, yeah, they've been very disappointing thus far. I think that this team had a lot higher expectations. I don't think anybody expected them to be a national championship contender, but they were supposed to be a team that was roughly around the top 25, I think, for most of the season. Um and yeah, I mean they've just they've just been disappointing, and some of that is just because they've had a lot of issues with cohesion. Um, I thought guys like <clears throat> Trevor Brazil were going to step into a bigger role with this team because uh, uh, he was he was somebody who was uh, projected to go in the draft last year around the thirties before he uh, tore his ACL, I think. Um, and they've played a little bit better as of late against teams like Missouri, who have also been pretty disappointing this year. Um, And Khalil Battle or Khalif Battle is, you know, he's a bucket. Like he's the guy who transferred from Temple, but still at the same time, you know, you're starting like three or four transfers in in your starting lineup. They've been disappointing this year. And um, they're definitely not where they're supposed to be, in my opinion. And, yeah, I mean, I don't know how you fix this if you're the Arkansas Razorbacks unless you just start recruiting better players.
1: Yeah, definitely true. And Musselman's a guy who's been known to go on some pretty crazy runs in the tournament but i don't think that this is his year i'm gonna go with kind of an unorthodox one here this isn't a team that's good their expectations weren't to be great but their expectations were to be better than they have been in the last few seasons yeah and that unfortunately just hasn't been true and they made big news in the offseason by bringing in their former player as the new head coach in ed cooley from providence interesting i'm talking about the georgetown hoyas okay coming out of the patrick ewing era I think that there was a lot of expectation on them to be better. Not great, but a little bit better than where yeah, they were.
0: Yeah, they've been disappointing.
1: Right now, they're currently down 30 to Villanova, and they're 10th in the Big East. And wow. that I understand that the Big East is a competitive division, but there's only 11 teams, and the only team worse than them is DePaul. Mm-hmm. So, unfortunately for Georgetown, they've not gotten any better, and they still are that bottom of the pack team.
0: Agreed. I think that... I think that people weren't expecting Georgetown to be anything this year, to be hundred percent fair, to Ed Cooley and the game. Uh, I think that what's going to happen is next year you're going to see a lot more expectations put on this team. Well I, no no
1: no, I, I want to clarify. I don't I don't think that anyone was expecting them to be like top six in the big like no one no, no, was expecting no, no. Totally them to be understand. one of those big East powerhouses. I, I totally
0: get what you're saying. Totally but I get what think you're that saying.
1: the narrative was that they were going to be better than they were in the past many seasons and that Correct. just hasn't proven true.
0: Correct. Yes, I think, I think you're right on the money with that. I think you're right on the money with that. But I think now that Ed Cooley is going to be bringing in his recruiting class from the class of 2024, some guys who were committed to Providence who have flipped their commitments, I think you're going to see them be better. And if you don't, then people are going to start asking questions as to why he went there in the first place.
1: And he had a really horrible reception in uh, Providence when he went back. Man, so that was
0: an awesome game, though. It was. Awesome game. Awesome game. You knew that was coming. You knew that was coming for for anybody. Absolutely. I think he knew did. that going in there. Um, but, yeah, I think that's a good shout. That's a good shout. Not a team that I would have thought of, but definitely, definitely right up there when it comes to teams that have been disappointing this year. Um, I'm going to kick it back to the West Coast now. Two major California teams have been very disappointing this year. One of them I, I kind of understand a little bit more than the other, which is why I'm going to go with the latter one. Um, USC, in my opinion, was supposed to be a lot better than they are bringing in the number one player in the class of 2024 and Isaiah Collier to pair with Boogie Ellis. And then you have a guy like Bronny James, son of LeBron James, the greatest basketball player of all time. You would expect them to be doing a lot better in the pac 12 than sitting at 10 and 16. Um, yeah, that's a bad record. That is a bad record. I actually think they're 11 and 16. My apologies. 11 and 16. Um, but they have not gotten the, the, you know, the, the help from the star players that they were supposed to be bringing in this year. I mean, Boogie Ellis has been playing very well. But, again, like, you can put up empty stats on a team that doesn't win, and that means nothing. I mean, Isaiah Collier has seen his draft stock plummet, in my opinion, because of this season. I mean, he hasn't played great in any game that I can think of. And I think Bronny James has also been a bit disappointing, aside from the fact that, you know, he had cardiac arrest on the court, so any minutes that he gets this year is you know, pretty commendable to him. Um, but I don't know what the issue is with USC. It seems like they have all the pieces right there. Great guard play, decent bigs, and they just cannot put it together.
1: Yeah, another team that can't put it together is Tom Izzo's Michigan State Spartans. And this yeah, good sparks up an entire different conversation that I'll get into in a second. But they're bringing back a lot of guys from that tournament team last year mm-hmm. that lost to Kansas State, I believe.
0: Yes, yes. Uh,
1: Tyson Walker's back. AJ Hugard's back. Yep, and then you you add to that core one of the most athletic people on this planet in Cohen Carr.
0: And and they had a consensus top five prospect in the class of twenty twenty four and Xavier Brooks come in. At, he's a seven foot center, but he's a seven foot wing center technically supposed to be. But yeah, keep going. And, and he's been disappointing, putting well, up he hasn't three, played three points, two yeah. rebounds. Like yeah, he hasn't
1: played. He hasn't gotten any minutes. And at this point, is it the players or is it the coaching? I am a believer that Tom Mizzo has this much reputation, this much talent coaching. I don't think that they match up. Huh. And as okay. especially as shown in the past few years, I think that when he has all the pieces, he can get it done as a coach. But I don't think that he can take a mediocre team to make them great. And we're show, we, he's showing it with this team and taking a great team and making them mediocre. Yep. Or a great team on paper, that is. So they're another team that hasn't been horrible. They haven't been as bad as USC. They sit sixth in the Big Ten. They have mm. a 17-10 record. Mm. But at the same time, they were the preseason number three, I believe. Yep. And they instantly went out, lost their first game, and it's just been a, an uphill battle ever since for them. And so for those reasons, to me, I think that they are a disappointing team.
0: Okay, I agree with you on them being disappointed. They were supposed to be a top five team in the country this year, and I actually like your take a lot on Tom Izzo as a coach. I don't, I think he's a fantastic coach. He's a Hall of Fame coach. Um, you know, I mean, he's won national championships. If they make the tournament, I will take them to win two rounds, one hundred percent. That is that is a that is a something that is something that is going to happen if they make the tournament. Um, That's a huge if, though. Yeah, I agree. Right now it is looking like they won't, though. They're sitting at 17-11. They've really struggled this year. And they have all the pieces, it feels like, to put a really good team out there. And they just have not been able to do it thus far. That being said, I don't think anybody wants to see Michigan State in the tournament or in the Big East tournament, or in the the Big Ten tournament, uh, championship. I really don't think anybody wants to see them. No, I certainly don't. Um, But that being said, I do think that if like a coach like John Calipari was having a season like this or even John Shire or, you know, um, yeah. Like, like a coach that, that coaches at a blue blood school, which Michigan state, in my opinion, I think it is, is would probably be getting a little bit more scrutiny from the fan base and from all of college basketball.
1: Well, and we saw it last season, John Calipari had a horrible season at yeah. Kentucky. One yeah. that's, quite similar to what Tom Izzo is going through right now at Michigan State and people were calling for his job us included yeah so then he went out and had a great recruiting class this season and they're better they're not great but they're better than where they're, they were
0: last season very fantastic offensive team yes i mean hubert davis got a little bit of uh, of slack when he was when that unc team was ranked number 1 in the country for a while and then you know, fell off the face of the map, didn't make the tournament, but now they've bounced back as well. So I don't think that you can really call him the problem over there for that year. Um, but yeah, I've, I've seen nobody calling for Izzo's job, and I don't, I don't think that they should fire him. Certainly, don't think that they should do that, or that he will get fired. Neither of those things are going to happen. Um, but I'm surprised that more people haven't spoken to the fact that maybe Tom Izzo is not the answer here. But I just, I find a hard time. I, I i i would find it hard to believe that that would ever happen in michigan state um, i
1: think he's one of those guys that you can't you can't fire agreed you just have yeah. to wait for them to retire like yeah. a jim Bayheim or even but they're not
0: that bad though they're not like syracuse bad like syracuse has right. been was bad the past couple of years of jim Beheim. unfortunately for him well and jim Beheim was 78 when he retired yeah, and but he also took them to multiple national championships, or to national championships and final fours with like Carmelo Anthony, right? Which is why he was great one of those seasons. guys.
1: I just, I just fear that if Tom Izzo overstays his welcome in Michigan State, in East Lansing, yeah. that they will fall out of that blue blood conversation and into one of those. They used, used to be good, to be, but now yeah. they're mediocre because I guess the coach possible. is staying around too long. I
0: guess it's possible. I, I would say to that, like, they maybe they've been mediocre for what two years now. Like, they weren't great last year, and they made the tournament. They did well in the tournament, but they weren't they weren't making very much noise in the Big Ten. And then this year, they've been disappointing. But, I would like, say
1: that they haven't been great, great since that team with Jaron Jackson Jr., Miles Bridges. Okay. I don't think that they've been great since they. I believe they beat Duke that year, the year that they yeah. beat Duke. I don't okay. think they've been great since then. With the, okay. um, uh, who's the guy? Cash, Cash is,
0: Winston. Cash is Winston. Yep. Yeah, Cash is Winston. Since Cash is Winston, I don't think they've been great. Okay. Okay. I don't know. I th- th- their their situation is one that feels like when they return a lot of the players that they're going to return, they're going to be fine. And Tom has proven to be a fantastic coach, especially when it comes to March. And if they can somehow get into the tournament, they're going to be a force to be reckoned with, in my opinion. Because if they just, if they get those pieces right, the pieces that they have for a couple of games, just a couple of games in a run, they can make some noise.
1: Yeah, and I mean, don't get me wrong, a a bad Michigan State team still beats a mid-major team. Yeah. still potentially has a shot at an, a lower SEC team or even a lower big 12 team
0: yeah maybe yeah maybe
1: it, it'd be a game it wouldn't be a blowout for sure I agree I agree so that those are some teams that have disappointed why don't we just each real quick give a team that has impressed us
0: okay okay um look I'm gonna go for a team first and foremost that is outside of the AP poll right now, not a, not a top 25 team, a team that I think if they make it to the tournament, I'm going to take them to go around. Um, and that would be the Nebraska Cornhuskers. I don't know why, but I've watched a lot of Nebraska basketball this year. Um, like maybe it's just because it's, uh, on in my teammates house all the time and we just, you know, we just watch it, but they're fifth in the big 10. They were projected to be 12th in the big 10. Um, and they they have some really high quality wins this year. Their defense is amazing for some reason. I don't again, I don't know why they're good. Um they just blew out Minnesota who's also having a very good season this year. Um and they have some really good players on this team. Rank Mast is a is a center who has played has very much impressed me thus far. Um he seems like he's a pretty, you know, good mobile big. Um, good screen setter, good in the two man action. And then Kiesi Tominaga is pretty damn good. You know, he's a fantastic shooter off the dribble, off the catch, off the screen. He's definitely their, their best player in my opinion. Um, but they've been very impressive to me in the big Ten thus far. And, um, you know, I, I, I honestly think that if this team makes it to March, which is a big if, because, you know, they're a fringe team right now when it comes to making it out of, um. Out of, this, out of this very competitive Big Ten. But, I mean, they have wins over teams like Purdue and a lot of other quad one wins this year. So it's very possible that they get in. And when they do, or if they do, uh, I think that I'm going to take them to go at least a round. That's a good take there. So
1: Nebraska's a program that is really known for their football in the 90s and the early 2000s, and since then hasn't been able to do anything, yeah. sporting-wise. Haven't, not in any sport. Besides, I'm sorry, besides volleyball. They've been quite good at volleyball.
0: Yeah, good. Yeah, that's a good shout. Women's volleyball. They're really good at that.
1: A team for me that has been impressive, and obviously any number one seed is going to be impressive. This team just shows that different kind of poise that you see in teams that make it down the stretch. And it's very difficult in college basketball to find a team that's very experienced, especially having lost so many players from the last generation into the new generation. Uh Uh-huh. But I think that UConn does a great job of that. Yeah. And that's what makes them such a good team. It, it, yes, they have greatly talented players, but those players also have great poise in big moments. And having lost Adama Sinogo, Jordan Hawkins, the two leading scorers from your championship-winning team, and then coming back and going right back to number one with plenty of great wins in arguably the second or third best conference in college basketball. Yeah. Yeah, a lot Big of respect for UConn. I think that UConn is right now the favorite to win the national title. And Interesting. I, I think that there's some other teams that are up there, but I think that as of right now, UConn is the favorite to win. And Alex, I think the Big East might be the best, the third best. the conference. Yeah, I'm sorry, third best conference in the country. Yeah, behind, so, in my opinion, Big Twelve and ACC still haven't okay.
0: beat. Okay, you think – so before we get to that, I'm going to push back on that for a second. Um, I just want to get your take on a couple of things when it comes to UConn. Are you concerned at all about the way that they play on the road? They have dropped a third in the AP poll this week after losing another road game. Um, but thus far, I mean, I agree with your contributions part. Like, Donovan Klingen has really stepped up and been a very big piece of this team. So is uh, Cam Spencer, who is their transfer in and um, – You know, Alex Caravan has walked into a much bigger role this year, too, Um, and they have some good freshman contributions from I'm blanking on his name right now. I'll figure it out in a second. But either way, it's it gets away from the point of me saying, um, you know, I think the most graphic thing about this UConn team this year is the fact that at home they are a dominant force and on the road they have been very bad.
1: Right, so I think that I think that question has a lot of angles you could take towards it, and this is the one that I am going to take. Of course, every team's going to play well at home when they have people backing them, and yeah. yes, it's oh, going and Tristan, to be
0: Tristan Newton is probably up yeah. there for Big East Player of the Year too. Sorry, just keep going.
1: And most teams play bad on the road when people are against them. Uh, that's obvious; everybody knows that. When you are playing in March Madness in big games, yeah, your fans will travel as will the other ones, which is why it's at a neutral site. Yeah. So the record that's bad on the road, I don't think it has to do with the travel aspect. I think it has to do with the crowd noise aspect and the fact that it's not their fans. But if they go to a neutral site, and especially in those first rounds, Mm -hmm. everyone knows that March Madness is about momentum. If you get momentum behind you, you're going to be the favorite to win once it starts. So... If they their fans will travel for the first couple rounds, and they will be playing teams that aren't great, and if they can get yep. through those games and pick up some momentum, especially down the stretch here, winning the Big East title would be huge for them. Agreed. I think that yeah, they can get it rolling in time for it to not have to be a factor by the time that those big games come.
0: Yeah, and they didn't win the Big East last year. Uh, Marquette did, um, which should be noted. They 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 won the Big Marquette won the Big East championship. Marquette's and a great team this year too. Yeah, they're very good. They're very good. And I think you're right, like look the stat that everybody keeps throwing around is they haven't won uh uh you know a road game against the top twenty five opponents since 2014, but like that being said, like they've endured a lot of success past that you know they were the national champions last year, they have a really good team returning, so maybe your point is right, maybe they are you know a team that can perform in a neutral site and in a more controlled environment that those games are going to bring in um and I don't know if they've been overly impressive. I think that most people had them mocked to be a team in the top 10 um, top 25 defense right now, top five offense in the country. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, again, they, they look to be a dynasty or not, not a dynasty. They look to be a powerhouse right now. If they could get another, you know, national championship in, you know, go back to back, then you would start to consider them to be maybe a college basketball team that is really going towards dynasty status because they have five rings in the past 25 years, which is something to think about. Something Correct. To think
1: yeah. about. Yeah. And I think that for me, it's not necessarily so much that they're where they are now is greatly different from where they were projected at the beginning of the season. Yeah. But it's the way that they play in big games. They have the poise, they have the leadership that it takes for a championship level. And there's a clear one, there's a clear two and there's a clear three. Agreed. And, that's in my opinion, what it takes for a team to be successful at all levels. And I think that they do that very well.
0: Okay. All right. I'm going to give one more shout out to a team that has impressed me thus far. Um, haven't watched a lot of their games, but they're a fantastic storyline right now coming out of the American East conference. University of South Florida is on a 13 game win streak. And they have now just peaked in into the top AP poll. They're number 25. Um, A a division that was projected to win uh, to be won by Florida Atlantic, who is, you know, I think they've been a little bit disappointing, even though they're still having a pretty damn good season. Um, This USF team was not projected to be as good as they are. I think they were actually projected to be close to the bottom of this conference, and they've kind of lit the world on fire. So good for them. Hopefully they keep it up. I hope they beat Florida Atlantic because honestly, uh, I'm not a huge FAU guy. And, um, you know, best of luck to South Florida as they try to continue this historic season for them.
1: Yeah, I have a friend who goes to FAU, so I, I can't say that you're against them. I'm against them, okay. but I'm basically against them. And yeah. I think just because their uniforms are so vibrant and also ugly, <laughs> I think that a piece of me does want to root for USF.
0: Fair enough. Fair enough.
1: All right, so that's enough for NCAA. We're going to have a lot more of that coming down the stretches as, as we get closer to March Madness here, which is actually three weeks away, I believe. Yeah, selection from, Sunday yes, is two weeks Sunday, away. Sunday, three weeks away. Yep, 20 days. So that's right around the corner. Yeah. Another yeah. thing that's right around the corner is the beginning of the NBA playoffs, which is oh, directly yeah. at the end of March Madness. So this is the time where we start to get down the stretch of the NBA season as well. Love it. Love and it. Right now, definitely in the East. Not so much in the West. We have a clear stance on what the playoff picture is or will be, yeah. Come come that time. So, I think I think the West is more interesting. However, I think certainly we get the East out of the way. Okay. Right now, the Eastern Conference has the Celtics seven and a half games ahead, who are yep. currently down to the broken and battered Seventy Sixers oh, at halftime. Okay. However. That does not tarnish their seven and a half game lead chokehold that they have on the entire Eastern Conference. Yeah. The Cavaliers have slid into second place. And then the Bucks have fallen to third. So they're the first team on this standings list that I look at and want to hear your opinion on. They the are Milwaukee Bucks. They're five and five in their last yeah. ten, which I believe puts them right around when Doc Rivers took over as head coach. So Alex, uh-huh. do you think that was a good move for them?
0: Um I don't know is the answer. Cause I think that in order to be able to answer that question, we would need to have more information as to why Adrian Griffin was not the guy they wanted to continue with. Cause they were so good with him before there was some sort of falling out. And I understand that it takes a while to implement a new system and adapt to a new head coach. Um, and the fact that doc rivers coached the all-star game is, you know, kind of a joke in of itself. And, um, yeah, like all those types of things are definitely you know factors as to why I think the Bucks have been losing more than they, they, they previously were. But like I, I, I guess he was probably the best coach available. but honestly, this team shouldn't need an elite coach. Like they won a championship with Mike Budenholzer, a guy who is not coaching in the NBA anymore. He's not an elite coach. Um, and I don't think Doc Rivers has been an elite coach for multiple years now. And I think that this is another one of those cases where we're just going to have to see if they continue to fall. Because, you know, before before these past 10 games, the Knicks were doing really they were really hot. I mean, they've started to cool off a little bit Um, and the Bucks are starting to pick back up steam. I mean, they played better as of late, but like as of right now, without the information about why Adrian Griffin was fired, I don't know if we can give a complete judgment as to what the hell happened there.
1: Yeah, I have no idea, personally.
0: Yeah. And
1: we were both people who were sitting there questioning why it was even happening. Right. But yeah, I mean, this Bucks team was a team that actually hung around with the Celtics for the first great portion of the year Agreed. until that firing happened. Yep. And then the Celtics started to take off. And yeah, we are 9-1 in our last 10 on an eight-game heater. Yeah. However, the Bucks have still been disappointing nonetheless. They're not a team that's 500 ever. They weren't 500 with Griffin. But they're 500 so far with Rivers, if not less than that. Yeah. So I look I look at them and I'm like, who's going to take over? The Cavs have already surpassed them. I don't think that they're going to look back. Uh-huh. But looking down this list, I don't think the Knicks will pass them. I don't think the Sixers definitely will not pass them. Yeah, I
0: agree. Uh, I, the I,
1: Heat have a chance. The Pacers have a chance. But even then, it's it's not even close.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: The Sixers team is going to flounder.
0: Okay. 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 And I
1: think that that's something we need to talk about. Yeah, go ahead. Because I, I guess I didn't realize just how much they really depended on Joel Embiid. And one uh, of my well, friends and I got into an argument about how Tyrese Maxey isn't that guy to step up when the big moments were on. And I said that he was, and my friend said that he wasn't. And that turns out to be true. Tyrese Maxey is doing his best, but they're not winning games, and that's what yeah. winning players do. And yeah. That's well, what we've seen Joel Embiid do.
0: I also don't know if you can win in a one as as a single star in this league anymore um and sure they have good pieces like Tobias Harris has always been a decent piece to have around um and like you know they have they have good other players and Tyrese great buddy hill they have great yeah. shooting yeah i mean tyrese maxey has certainly stepped into a more prominent role this year being you know a guy who's our pick for most improved player of the year this year um but like that being said like you know if your second option is a guy like Tobias Harris, or Kelly Oubre Jr., you're going to be in trouble in this league, especially in this Eastern Conference, which has teams like the Celtics who go five or six deep on guys who can get a bucket whenever they really want to. You yeah, know what but I mean? I
1: mean, if you look at the Sixers, the Sixers team, even with Embiid, they have great roster construction. Yeah. They have Maxi at the one, Healed at the two, Toby at the three. Uh, I guess Batum is not great at the four, but then you have Embiid, so it makes up for it. Right they have a very balanced lineup they're just not deep on the bench at all whatsoever right and that's why once your big star goes out yeah they're they're not going to do well and they're going to keep falling i think they've fallen from 3rd to 5th now in the standings and that's yes. only going to keep going down because they're 3 and 7 in their last 10 yes and there's teams behind them that are actually quite hot right now if you look at the heat 8 and 2 yep. in their last 10 pacers yep. 6 and 4 magic 7 and 3 so i I think that there is a world where the 76ers fall into the playing slot. Okay. And I think that there's a, a world where they are in the playing slot, but if they don't have Joel Embiid, that they're not even favorites in that playing spot.
0: Yeah. I think that they will be good enough to at least be a playing team. They have, uh, uh, yeah, I mean. Yeah, that's, that's not what I mean. I just mean that they could be in that eight, that nine or 10 spot. Right. They have an eight game lead over the 10 seed, which is the Hawks right now, but I agree. I think that they could, I think that they will fall to a team that is in that eight to 10 range. Uh, in the next couple of weeks. Um, But really, like, there is really no contention for the East right now. The regular season champion will be the Celtics, I think. We can knock on wood on that. Knock on wood. Um, But they have an eight-game lead right now, and now the question is, do they bottle it when we get to the playoffs, which we're not even going to talk about yet because it's so far away. Um, But, yeah, like, I agree. I think the most interesting part of this NBA season right now is the fact that the Celtics are seven and a half game, like seven and a half games ahead of the Cavs who are the second seed in the uh, Eastern conference. And if you swing over to the West, the Timberwolves who are the number one seed in the Western conference are seven games ahead of the eight seeded Mavericks. That's crazy, crazy thing to think about.
1: It's crazy. And this is now the second year in a row that we've had that.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I just, I think the West is completely wide open this year. You look at the two teams, I'm going to pivot to the West that's cool with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You look at the two teams at the top of the standings, you have the Timberwolves and the Thunder. Both teams were playing teams last year who have seen massive resurgences, great coaching, two guys who are probably going to be the candidates for coach of the year this year. Um, and they sit one game ahead of the Nuggets and three games ahead of the Clippers, and I think the Clippers are probably the hottest team in the Western Conference right now. Tyron Lue has done a fantastic job with that team. And they have three incredible players in Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, and uh, James Harden. And I think they're the most dangerous team in this Western Conference right now. But a game, a single game separates the Suns from the Mavericks, which is seeds 5 through 8. And then two games separate the Lakers from the Mavericks, which is seed nine, nine, 8 and 9. Like, this whole entire conference is absolutely wide open, and I'm so here for it. I'm here for it as well. And look, I think, that, I think that we can
1: confidently say that the top four is set in the West, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, I think they'll be the top four. I think seats. that that's the top
1: four. But then again, it could be any construction of those four teams. Right. And any one of them could be number one, two, three, and four. Right. I think it's incredibly interchangeable
0: and i still don't really trust the timberwolves or the or the thunder to win a first round series i
1: agree i agree with that <laughs> like, like especially against teams that have so much experience in the playoffs like yeah. a lakers team like a warriors team or like the suns team yeah even yeah. the dallas mavericks even the sacramento kings actually yeah this west i think i think that we are being set up for one of the best western conference playoff series that you're going to see in a long time, if not, if not ever, like I think the potential for it to be the most wide open conference of all time is there. We could see any team from one through 10 rattle off enough wins to get them into a championship finals, Yep, which is just astounding. I'm looking down this list and I don't see a single team that isn't capable of going on a run and making it to at least a conference finals. Agreed. Even the Agreed. New Orleans, a fully healthy New Orleans Pelicans team, I think does it. It's just yeah. incredible, and I think that five through ten is wide open. Hell, the Utah Jazz might even enter themselves in that conversation. They got hot right before the All Star break, mm-hmm. so we'll see. We'll see how it goes.
0: Yeah, it's 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 certainly an interesting thing to look at this year, um, because I think that the the heavy favorite to come out of the East now is probably the Boston Celtics. Um, And I don't even know who's favored to come out of the West. I have no idea. Let me look it up. Go ahead. Because, like, I can't imagine it would be the T-Wolves or the Thunder. I just can't. I don't know how much playoff experience is within those two teams alone, but it's like I bet LeBron James has more playoff experience than every player on those rosters put together. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah. All right. So odds are all over the place. Okay. Uh, from different websites, yeah, yeah, seems to be the consensus. Number one is Nuggets. Number two, Clippers. Number three, Thunder. Number four, Timberwolves. Okay,
0: that that's what I would expect. I would expect people to expect the Nuggets to come out of this uh, jumbled Western Conference, and then the Clippers to be that second seed because they're the teams with you know the most star power when it and comes the most, to it. The most playoff success, yeah, in in the past. Um, although the Clippers are a bit of a cursed franchise, so we'll see if they can get over the hump there. But it is certainly going to be a nail-biter finish in the West for seeding, for placement, for home court, for all those types of things. Agreed. All right, Alex,
1: I don't think I have anything else to talk about. I don't either. Well, ladies and gentlemen, as always, thank you for listening. This has been The Corner Office. You can find us on all social media platforms and find our episodes streaming everywhere you get your podcasts. But for now, this has been The Corner Office, and I'm Jack Byrne.
0: And I'm Alex Penders i three. All
1: right.